Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie welcome, D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm stepping on his own lines. That's Ryan Treasure, <laughs> VP of Broadcast Operations at Voice America. Thank you for the voiceover, Ryan. I am Bonnie D. Graham. This is Technology Revolution. We familiarly refer to it as Tech Rev, the future of now. I've got a topic for you that is so hot today. It may be the hottest, most, it's not political, but it's one of the hottest topics I presented in the 84 episodes since I started the series a while ago. We're going to talk about the future of social engineering. You may not know what it is, but you know what it does because you might have been a victim of it. And we're going to focus on the future of you, our listeners, our viewers around the world, you as a good human hacker, because social engineering has to do with human hacking. I've got a panel of four experts. Can't wait to introduce them to you. But first, let me give you a little background. Okay. Think about it. Throughout recorded human history and probably before that, people have figured out how to use the latest technology. Maybe it was writing hieroglyphics on the wall of a cave somewhere or taking a bear skin and covering yourself with it, pretending to be somebody else. I don't know. People have used the latest technology to scam con or hack other people for their own benefit. Come on, we know it's a reality in our world and it's more prevalent because we're all connected digitally and socially today. Let me give you a couple of examples. From nine, I'm sorry, from 1650 to 1699, a man named William Challoner, that might be his dates of, of life, he was a serial counterfeiter and confidence trickster. And who proved him guilty? Sir Isaac Newton. Well, there's one for the history books. Gregor McGregor, that's a heck of a name, who lived from 1786 to 1845, was a Scottish con man. Guess what? He invented a country called Poyais, P-O-Y-A-I-A-S. Poyas, and he tried to con people into settling there and investing there. It was a con. It was a social engineering human hack. What about Cassie Chadwick, who was born in 1857? She was a Canadian woman who record, re, defrauded banks out of millions of dollars or whatever currency they were using at the time. She pretended to be the illegitimate daughter and heir of Andrew Carnegie. Seriously? Uh, what about Joseph Weil, who was born in 1875? He was known as Chicago's infamous yellow kid. He posed as a bank president, as an inventor. He posed as millionaires and scientists for years and years and years. And he is quoted as saying, I played more roles in real life than the average actor ever dreamed of. And one more, Frank Abnagel Jr., alive today, born in 48. He's a check forger and an imposter who turned into an FBI consultant. He impersonated a Pan Am airline pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. He made over $2.5 million illegally. And guess what? You may have seen the story of his life in the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio called Catch Me If You Can. That was his story. So let's talk about social engineering. It is a psychological manipulation of a person by a malicious attacker or attackers. That's right. That's a serious word. Into performing actions or divulging confidential information for the purpose of information gathering, fraud, system access. We all know about that. It differs from a con because it's complex and there are a lot of steps to it. It's based on attributes of human decision-making known as cognitive biases, sometimes called the bugs in our human hardware that people exploit. The good news 
There is good news. Social engineering as a force for good can be part of your future, can help you regain your confidence and control over your world, become more empathetic, generous, and kind, and leave people feeling happier and better for having met you. And who says this? Christopher Hadnegi, who is the person who invited my stellar panel to join us today. Chris says, when you compliment people, it gives, you a, it gives them a chemical boost. It causes their brain to release... Chris, this is used to be called the, the kissing drug, oxytocin and dopamine. It creates trust and induces a feeling of pleasure. It creates a mini storm of connectedness, happiness, and pleasure. And you can use this to get airline seat upgrades, rental car upgrades, reservations at hard-to-get-into-restaurants. You can fix family relationships, get a promotion at work. Who doesn't love that? Deal with difficult colleagues, make new friends. Get comfortable at parties, get people to love you. So Chris has invited three of his colleagues to join us today. We have Chris Hadnegi, we have Ryan McDougall, we have Maxie Reynolds, and we have Shane McCombs. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of social engineering. You, my esteemed listeners, as the good human hacker. Welcome, everybody. Again, I'm long-winded on the opening, but there was so much to tell you about Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Chris Hagnegi, welcome, and thank you so much for inviting this wonderful panel. Can't wait to introduce them to our listeners. So, Chris, I'm going to put you on speaker view and ask you to please go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience. Go ahead. Thank you for that awesome introduction. <laughs> and I learned some things about some human hackers I haven't heard about. So there you go. That's some great research. Uh, well, I've been in this field going on 18 years now, and uh, I've written five books on the topic. So for me, what's uh, been interesting about that is trying to understand the psychology and the science behind how we make decisions as, as humans. I'm the CEO of a company called Social Engineer LLC and the CEO of Innocent Lives Foundation. Um, and I'm a professor of social engineering, if you can believe that. I don't even know that's a thing, but we made that up along with the industry. <laughs> So uh, I, I love what you said in the beginning, because for us, it's really trying to understand how these things get used by con men and scammers, but also how we can use them every day in our life to better ourselves. And that's really what my, my mission is. Thank you very much, Chris. Welcome. And I have to do full disclosure here, Chris Hadnegi. You were a guest a couple of months ago on my Read My Lips Cool Conversations with Creatives show on the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio. And I was so impressed that I asked you to come and bring wonderful people with you to talk about this topic today on TechRev. So thank you, Chris. And now let's go around the table. Ryan McDougall, you're up next. Ryan, welcome. We just met about 12 and a half minutes ago. Would you please introduce yourself and tell us what's your passion for the topic? Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, uh, my name is Ryan McDougall. I'm here. I'm as the Chief Operating Officer of Social Engineer LLC. Uh, I've been in the information technology field for about 23 years, been focusing on security for about eight years. Uh, when I met Chris, I learned all kinds of new things about how to think about myself and think about other people, which really brought me out of a, a life of introversion into doing public things like this, which is very weird and strange for me, but it's really fun to do and try new things that make me uncomfortable, and it's always a growth opportunity. Well, I love your optimism and your enthusiasm as an introvert and hard to believe, but we're going to get a lot of great insights from you, and thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone and into ours, so I appreciate that. Let's now go to Maxie Reynolds. Let's see if everybody can detect where her accent is from originally. <laughs> Maxie, welcome. Thrilled to have you. Would you please introduce yourself? Go ahead. Yes, thank you. I am Maxie Reynolds. I am the team lead over at Social Engineer, so I lead a team of other social engineers on the jobs that we do. Um, I have 
a diverse background. I started off in oil and gas on platforms and then eventually moved into cybersecurity and that eventually led me to Chris and Ryan. And I love social engineering because it's sort of the intersection of being a corporate spy and a con man, but there's a lot of skill involved and it's, it sort of touches every industry, which is one thing, but it also touches all cultures and all people. And, and that is kind of mind-blowing to me. I have a job that is everywhere and touches everything. So it's never stale. It's always changing and there's always something to learn. And I think that's probably the, the best thing about it. Thank you very much, Maxie. Pleasure. Does Maxie stand for something, may I ask? Just Maxie. You can... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> People have asked me for years if Bonnie stands for something like Bonita or something else. Does no, it? it's just, nope. Just, just Bonnie. Just, just yeah. Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I-E. And that's got to be enough. My mother used to say they never knew what hit them when she walks into the room. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's Bonnie. Yes. And, and it was, she was right, actually. Shane McCombs is next. Shane, pleasure to welcome you. Please, I'm putting you on speaker view. Shane, do us the honor of an introduction. Who are you and why are you here? So my name is Shane McCombs. It's wonderful to meet all of you. I'm in the, I am uh, the COO of the Innocent Lives Foundation. And so it is our job at the Innocent Lives Foundation to go out and identify or unmask uh, people who are trying to anonymously hurt children. And then we were able mm. to turn around and turn their identifying information over to the appropriate law enforcement agency. I have been in the tech field for over 25 years now, which seems completely crazy. Um, and I first began getting very interested in social engineering as I was floating up and through different sea levels, uh, assignments and roles and watching people just fail horribly at communication and their interpersonal relationships. And I just being the person that I am, I just had to dig in just trying to figure out what in the heck was going on, why people who are adults fail so horribly at communicating, talking and being effective. And that led me down the rabbit hole to where I'm now sitting in social engineering. That it's just simply fascinating. It is. I'm glad you said that. I appreciate all of you with the enthusiastic introductions. It is a, Chris, it's a moving target, this field, isn't it? it every day we talk about hacking in terms of bad actors and getting into businesses and stealing secrets and proprietary information. And we talk about beefing up security systems and making sure you don't have any loopholes in your forgotten password systems, which I know can lead for people to get your account and you can't get into it anymore. But we don't often, at least my experience, we don't often talk about the people side of who are they, what are they trying to do, not just the so-called people sitting in a basement somewhere in a very cold country on the other side of the world doing evil things and hacking, but we don't talk about this human side, the motivation and what it takes to con and fool and hack. And Chris, just a quick question. Is the term human hacking a very new term in terms of applying the word human in front of the word hacking? What's your, what's your take on that, Chris? Uh, yeah, I think it is. We, um, you know, if you go back into the 1800s, social engineering was a term that was used, but it was more about political science and it wasn't about security. And then in the uh, early 90s, social engineering became a little popularized from a security term because of a man named Kevin Mitnick, who was very much like someone you mentioned, Frank Abengale, mm-hmm. who um, ended up uh, social engineering, uh, Altel, a phone company, and the FBI ended up in prison for a while. Now he's a consultant. 
Um, and that term became very popular used in security because of that event. And then if we jump forward, uh, we started to make it into an industry here, our company, and started to formalize the term human hacking because everyone talked about when you thought about hacking, like you said, they always had this picture of someone in a hoodie in a basement hacking a computer. Yep. But the new form of hacking that we're seeing way more of is the humans in the network that are failing, that are giving over the details to the bad guys. So the term human hacking is relatively new, something that we're kind of bringing into light now. Thank you very much. And we're going to show the positive, sexy side of that, of using it for good, right? Using it maybe to gain, but also for good, not hurting people with it. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to please send me a quote from a movie, a song, something interesting, and has nothing to do with the topic. And in their own words, poetically, philosophically, prosaically, however they want to position it, they're going to tell us why they picked the quote and what it does have to do with the topic. Chris Hadnegg, you're up first, and Chris has sent us a quote from the iconic film, The Shawshank Redemption, 1994 American drama film. And let's see, did you know, I guess you do, Chris, that it was based on the 1982 Stephen King novella called Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. That was the original name. Let me give the quote here. So we have the character Andy, played by Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, and the character Red, who is played by Morgan Friedman, Freeman, Ellis Red Redding. And here's the, the quote. Andy says, there are places in this world that aren't made out of stone, that there's something inside that they can't get to. They can't touch. That's yours. And Red says, what are you talking about? And Andy replies, hope. Ooh, I get chills on that one. I've seen the movie. Chris, what in the world does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, I love the, that quote for many reasons, but applying it to this topic Sometimes the world can seem really dark. I mean, look what we're going through right now. Global pandemic. It looks like the uh, from an attacker point, everything is bad. People are falling for lots of different things. There's millions of people dying because of the global pandemic. And that can cause us to lose hope. But uh, that's, a, that's a viewpoint. It's a frame. So I love that quote because here, this guy was in prison. It was an unjust prisoning. He had all sorts of bad things happen to him in prison. And yet he never lost that one thing, which they couldn't take away from him, no matter what they did, which was hope that he could make his life better. So, and I love that one. Thank you very much. I think we all love it too now. I hadn't heard, I saw the movie, but I hadn't, I don't remember those kinds of quotes. Now let's go to Ryan McDougall. Ryan has sent us a quote from The Matrix, 1999 American sci-fi action film. And the character Morpheus, played by the iconic Lawrence Fishburne, is talking to Neo, played by the equally stellar Keanu Reeves. Here's the quote. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Ooh, getting chills from that one too. Ryan, help us out here, Mr. Introvert. Go ahead. Yeah, so that that quote actually resonates with me in multiple different ways of my life. So, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life that I refer to as conduits, where they kind of just open my world up and and just provide opportunity that I have to actually seize. They're never going to force anything. But on the other side of it, using for social engineering, uh, we provide opportunities for people to potentially make mistakes and they have to actually know whether to take that step or not take that step. And so we, we, we just provide opportunity. We provide avenues of, of action. And then they have to, it's up to them to, to decide whether that's the appropriate action to take or not. 
Very interesting. Could we say that you are living that today by getting out of your comfort zone and coming Absolutely. here? Yes. And and Chris Hadnigi was the conduit. I try not to miss anything here, Ryan. <laughs> Chris Chris was the conduit, and I'm the one you were supposed to meet. And this is the show you're supposed to be on to get into a whole other world of sharing your knowledge. How's that sound, Ryan? Good. That, it's a perfect description. Well, you well thought out. Work the red you, pill. He walked, in <laughs> he walked into the door. You'll walk through the through the door, not into the door. Thank you very much. I do that sometimes too. But, you know, I got to edit that. <laughs> I got to edit that one out. Sometimes with human hacking, we walk into a door, don't we, Chris? Because somebody we captivated do. us, complimented us, flattered us. I know uh, how many I, I met somebody through through a connection on a radio show about a year ago. And this person said, let's go do a podcast together and it'll be great. And he said, go buy a website. And I bought the website we agreed on. He said, let's spend time. We met for weeks and we planned 20 topics and he was going to get some guests. And, I, and then all of a sudden he said, I'm having carpal tunnel surgery. And I said, OK, he said, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. That was a year and a half ago. Oh. I was stuck with a new website domain <laughs> that I have since dumped it was only 20 <laughs> bucks but he ch- he charmed me into oh we're gonna be great together and i i fell for it i fell for it hook line and, and crappy sinker anyway i haven't admitted that on air, on air yet but it was interesting because he complimented me right chris he engaged me he said let's do it and you i said why don't you buy the domain no bonnie you go do it you know how to do it. oh he led me right to the door and I walked into the door, Ryan. <laughs> I didn't walk through. I walked into that door. Bam. Okay, let's move on. Maxie Reynolds has put, selected. Maxie, this is a quote from a TV show I've never heard of. The TV show is Norsemen, a Norwegian comedy TV series. This is from season three, episode four. I didn't know there was even a season one. And Torsten Hund, portrayed by Bjorn Myrene, is the right hand of Car- Jarl Barg, lives in Bargness, and is a side character. I have no idea idea what that means but here is the quote and it's a long one everybody listen up we have come so far technologically that we no longer know how anything works everyone sends ravens but no one knows how it really works if all the technology suddenly disappeared we'd be pretty much left high and dry almost no one can manage to make the things we just take to granted in our modern world oh my maxi <laughs> what the world did i just say help me out what does this have to do with our topic please Oh God! So I I think that I picked that because it's 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 a very funny quote for me, especially watching. I I hope that you can watch it, but it sort of reveals this human tendency that we have to look at the past and think it was better than where we are now, better than the the present, really. And I think that's a pattern that will just go on forever. We always think, oh, were we better off before Facebook? and so on and so forth, and having a Viking say that they might have been better off before ravens because, you know, (laughs) they can't understand how it works and we don't understand a lot about our sort of technological environment the world over. I think it pokes some fun at us as, as humans and we need that from time to time. And I understand the series is very well received, and I have to yeah. figure out where and very popular. Uh, Chris and Shane and Ryan, do you watch the Norseman series? Do you know about it? I've not seen it. No. Well, Maxie, look at you. You just opened us up to a door we're going to walk through. <laughs> yeah. You are a trendsetter. You're a door well, opener. What do you she think? She does things like that often. I you? have a feeling she does. And let's go to Shane McCombs. Shana sent us a quote from River Tam, 
the fi- on Firefly, the episode Trash, <laughs> a TV show. I wish I knew what I was talking about. Firefly is an American space Western drama TV series created by writer and director Joss Whedon under his Mutant Enemy Productions label. Wow. The series is set in the year 2000. 2517, after the arrival of humans in a new star system, Star Trek, watch out. And it follows the adventures of the renegade crew of Serenity, a Firefly-class starship. The ensemble cast portrays nine characters who live on Serenity. And Whedon pitched the show as nine people looking into the blackness of space and seeing nine different things. It sounds like nine people at the scene of an accident, right? You're never going to get the same story. So here is the quote. Shane, you got to really help me with this one. The quote is, also... I can kill you with my brain. Oh, Shane, this sounds very, very foreboding. Shane McCombs, rescue yourself, dear. It's your, you picked it. I didn't. Go ahead. Oh, this, this, this is a wonderful quote. And the reason why I love it is because the character that's playing this is this little girl who just seems so broken and powerless. And without giving anything away, she clearly is not. And she happens to be speaking to uh, the protector on the ship, who is ostensibly the most uh, physically powerful person there. And he's just wronged her and her brother in this situation. And so he finds himself in a very vulnerable position. So this little girl who feels, you know, he feels completely superior over in every way. Uh, She literally just looks around the corner and says, also, I can kill you with my brain. And the funny part about the show is, is she's absolutely correct. So she has always been the most powerful person in the entire cast. And so when I think about this in relation to social engineering, things are not always what they seem. In fact, they rarely are what they seem. And so when you take uh, someone and we appeal to a bias, mm-hmm. and so you're going to go and uh, have a, a physical attack on a place and you're going to use social engineering, you're going to want to walk in with the smallest, tiniest little person that you would never imagine that they could just kill you with their brain. They are literally going to pick you apart, and it's because of their intelligence and because of your own internal bias. And this is, this is the reason why, besides the fact I just simply love and adore the show, uh, I just thought this was a perfect quote. Thank you very much. Um, my engineer just told me the movie was good, too, Serenity. Hey, so it's phenomenal, yes. Aaron, Aaron pays attention. He's an engineer who actually listens to the show that he's engineering for us. You know, I've heard the phrase, Shane, kill me with kindness, mm-hmm. but I've never heard kill me with your brain. So that sounds like a, a, a very upgraded out there type of approach. Thank you all. I appreciate the time you all took to find interesting quotes. I really do. So thank you for that. Always makes it fun. Let's go to the predictions round, lightning round. Uh, take two to three minutes to explain your prediction. If you have a prediction, as I mentioned before the show, that's similar to somebody else's and you want to comment, raise your hair, just like in third grade, you know, te- teacher, here, here I am, call Call me, please, teacher. Or you can just wave wildly and we'll think something's wrong with your Zoom screen. So we're going to Zoom to prediction number one with Chris Hadnagy. And this is interesting. He predicts social engineering will become a subject taught at universities across the globe by 2022. Now, kids, this is March something, March 24th, 2021. That's 
next year. And then the topic will begin to be taught to the lower grades before 2025. This is very provocative. Mr. Chris Hadnegi, you're up. Talk to me. So when uh, the economy is doing well, our industry picks up. When the economy is doing bad, our industry picks up. It is one of these industries that doesn't seem to get affected regardless of what's happening in the world. It's always going up. But the people like Ryan and Shane and I or Maxie who have been in this, well, Maxie's younger, but those of us who have been in the field for many years, we had the ability to learn this by actually doing things that now would be considered illegal. We didn't destroy things, but we may have accessed the server and parlayed around and then left and never destroyed anyone's life. Nowadays, there's laws and regulations around that. So the younger generation can't go out and learn how to do these things ethically and morally. And we need people. I need people. I want to retire someday. So I need the next generation to come up and start taking over my job. And the only way we're going to get there is if we actually start teaching the skills properly. And right now what's happening is, you know, masters in cybersecurity, which is a bunch of Q&A, a lot of really interesting information, but no practical knowledge. So I, I'm getting the firsthand chance to see the success in teaching a practical class in a university at University of Arizona. And the success of that program makes me feel that by next year, we're going to see that expand throughout the world because people want it. And then we're going to start seeing how if we teach our younger generations these things, that we'll constantly have a flow of people coming into this industry and especially a flow of more diversity. Because right now it's mainly a white male dominated field mm-hmm. and we need people of color and we need women in this field because we don't have enough diversity in it. So I, I feel by getting that into the universities and I see that happening more and more now that we're going to start opening this up to a broader range of professionals in, in the field. And that's why we're glad Maxie Reynolds is here with us today. You're, you're breaking the, breaking that ceiling or bashing in that door, Maxie, and we're happy. Thank you, Chris. Very interesting perspective. I didn't expect to hear that about about that, uh, shall we say, that niche, that that closed door niche. And it's a fascinating topic. And and when I think about think about Hidden Figures, the movie about the women who are really mm. the NASA computer figure outers operators from the early days of the space program. And I'm watching, I told Maxie, I'm watching a, a British detective uh, series called Bletchley Circle about four women who were code breaker cryptographers for Britain during World War II. And the brilliance of the minds and all that, it just yeah. seems logical. We talk about STEM education today. And I recently, Maxie, I just recently found out that I'm considered an early woman in tech because I was a programmer analyst in the 1900s uh, <laughs> in, in, in the key punch days. It, it, seriously, yeah. uh, before Honeywell bought Xerox. I was coding COBOL and key punching on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 for the state of Oregon, running a community college information system program for the whole state right out of out of a two-year degree, which followed my degree in psychology that I couldn't do anything with a bachelor's degree. So my graduate school was community college. So I have two associate degrees, which were graduate school after the bachelor's degree. So I did it all backwards and inside out. But I was recently invited to be a, a keynote, a featured speaker at the Women in Big Data Organization's International Women's Day event on March 8th, and it was called Lifting Our Voices. So, Maxie, I might introduce you to some of those women. You might might enjoy that organization. Thank so, thank you. Chris, great, great comment. Let's move on. Ryan McDougall has sent the following prediction. Parents will need to both learn and teach human hacking skills to a generation of children to overcome 
COVID isolation and remote learning situations. Wow, Ryan, talk to us. Interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I'm a parent of, of young children, as you may or may not hear my six-year-old stomping around upstairs. I'm sorry for that. Uh, it's it's one of these things that with that type of isolation where we're not allowed to go out, we're not allowed to interact with people, and then even when they're doing remote schooling, they're doing everything over Zoom, you lose a lot of that very important socialization that kids should get really early on in their lives. And so with that effect of having to be isolated or having to do remote learning, parents are going to have to figure out a way to get their kids to understand socialization. So I use techniques like when I'm reading books to my kids, I point out the facial expressions of the characters in the books and ask them how they feel about those expressions or what, how they think those characters feel and, and try to get them to, to pick up on nonverbal communication, even in, even in two-dimensional forms, just to get them to start to understand and start to recognize those as they interact with those people in the real world, they'll be able to pick up and remember those situations which, is, which, which will relate to the, the interaction they would have gotten when they were in person school or if they're out playing with all their friends, they would have picked up all that stuff naturally. But since we're, we're so isolated for the past year, that mm-hmm. parents are going to have to fill in that gap for their, for their kids to be able to grow up properly and, and grow up in a society that they can function properly. So I feel like they're just going to, parents are going to be forced to learn it themselves if they don't understand it themselves and then pass that on to their kids. Thank you very much. I remember I had my tonsils out when I was about 12 and and the school was teaching binary math. Ones and zeros, the switch goes on, the switch goes off, and I missed that chapter. And my dad, who was a radiologist and MD, he got the information from the school, from the teacher. And when I was recovering from, you were in the hospital a couple of days with tonsillectomy, I think back in the day. Max, you weren't even born then. Let's not go there. And, And my dad taught himself how to understand binary math. And he gave me the lessons. I think I was out of school for about a week, you know, ice cream and jello and I can't talk, really couldn't. <laughs> and very, very painful afterwards. They scrape your adenoids out of your throat anyway. I don't know what they do today, but it was it was a big deal operation and every, every kid got it. So dad taught me binary math. And that reminds me of, of what you just said, Ryan, about parents needing to Fill that gap and learn. You talked about parents learning human hacking. Well, my dad was learning binary math, which he had knew nothing about, and we learned it together. And it was a very interesting interaction and very interesting that he helped me get up to speed before I went back to school. So I'm just relating that to past before before Chris when social engineering was probably happening and we didn't we didn't quite call it that on an everyday basis, but parents were involved in the learning process. And thank you very much, Ryan. Maxie, I'm going to your prediction number one. You say individuals and organizations are becoming increasingly dependent on working with computers. Tell me something I don't know. And accessing the internet, yes. And more importantly, (laughs) sharing data through virtual communications. We will have science-based evaluations of how vulnerable we are as individuals to social engineering based on personality types Oh, Maxie, please do tell. Unpack this for us. Go ahead. Yes. So I think that um, there are certain qualities that are threaded sort of through humanity and we can broadly categorize them into introverts, extroverts, um, ambiverts. And with each category, there are some qualities there and they may make you more or less vulnerable to social engineering. And I think every category has its good defences and its blind spots. I think we will be forced to look at those as uh, an industry. 
and start to personalize security, start to look at personality types, personality traits, see what makes those types of people vulnerable um, and start to bridge gaps that way. I, I, I don't think we can carry on forever with general security. I think it has to drill down into person-centric. I, I happen to think the same about medical advances and um, I see those going hand in hand too. We will just personalize more and more. Interesting. Maxie, how will we define those personality types? Will this be at the children level? Will this be at a, what, what personality type is your kid? Ryan McDougall, he's a, he's an introvert. Is that a personality type that would be one of the ones for customizing vulnerabilities or just, can you take us a little more through this? It's fascinating. Um, I think that, it will be difficult to do it with children, although there will okay. be traits. Okay. I think we'll have to put guards in place and they'll be more general, um, and, but a lot more defensive. So hope, maybe a little less um, a little less freedom on the internet for children. We will, as parents and people, we'll keep them safer that way. But for uh-huh. the pockets of humanity that we're talking about, for those extroverts, introverts, ambiverts, I think we will look at the, the, the quality. So let's take an, an extrovert. They probably have more exposure to outside sources. Mm-hmm. Sure. So with that exposure comes uh, the possibility of being social engineered a little more frequently. So there's one thing that goes against us as extroverts. But by the same token, we have more, um, often have more, there's a word I'm looking for experience Mm -hmm. with a lot of different personality types and we can then analyze them a little more quickly sometimes an extrovert again i'm generalizing that's fine but i think that we can uh, take those pockets of people just uh, put a pin in the human error that will occur anyway because we are humans we do make mistakes but start to look at the characteristics of each type to say okay we can help these people by putting these defenses in place. Thank you very much, Maxie. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot no, there. That's I think somebody's hitting their desk or their mic. We're hearing a boom, boom, boom. So just keep your hands on your on top of your. That's fine. That's fine. We are live. We want to make sure we get good audio. Shane McCombs, I'm looking at your prediction number two. I know you want to talk about saving children. We'll get to that. You mentioned it in your intro, but this is interesting. You say social engineering and human hacking will improve communications over video calls. And here we are on Zoom. I'm not going to read the rest of your prediction. I want you to unpack it. Shane McCombs, I'm putting you up and speaker view go ahead so as humans we have these natural clues that we read into even at a subconscious level that we don't always understand so we're we're talking to a person we've just met they're in person and we feel relaxed now as a social engineer we may realize it may be because they have their feet pointed towards us they're turned in a little bit and maybe they've tilted their neck and so all these things begin to help us to understand that they feel vulnerable, which means they're not a threat to us. And even subconsciously, we relax, we communicate better. Now, with all of a sudden, we have video in front of us. And so there is this wall that we don't even understand how to read these cues uh, subconsciously, much less consciously to be aware of it. So if you are a social engineer, and you have the opportunity to then turn around and to to pick apart how you're presenting on video. 
then at that point, you have a chance to communicate even better and to be better at what you do when it comes to communicating. So a simple example is that typically I'm going to, if I'm in person, I'm going to be gesturing down here Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be talking and I can't talk without moving my hands. When I'm on video, I have to be very aware that if I'm going to gesture and have it be effective, I have to be up here within the realm of the video camera. Uh, Little things, so I can do all the right things But yet, what if I'm looking at my second monitor and so I'm Mm -hmm. open, I'm I'm here, you know, and all of a sudden I'm looking over here and I'm talking to you. Well, I may think I'm talking to you because I'm looking to you over Mm -hmm. here, but the reality is because of the camera, you're here. And so those little ideas of being aware and present and having that training uh, will give anyone who has that a, a leg up in communication. And so that was the reason why I was thinking uh, about Thank this prediction. You. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate that. Chris, you raised your hand. I'm going to be a good teacher and hall monitor and call on you. Chris Hadnagy, talk to us. I did. I love this topic. So in Zoom, they have this little feature that if you click on the little ellipsis next to your name, it says hide self view. And there was recently an article done about how many of us spend our whole time on video staring at ourselves. So I often hide my self view. Because when I, if, I, if you and I were in person talking, I couldn't mm-hmm. see me. I couldn't see my face. But when we have our self view on, we end up looking at ourselves. Is my hair okay? Am I smiling? Am I looking weird? Mm-hmm. And because now I'm staring at my face, I'm not looking at the facial expressions of this panel or you to know if I'm doing a good job. And it ruins communication. So by hiding my own self view, I'm now forced to look at the people I'm interacting with and that allows me to make it more real like we were live and in person. Thank you, Shane. Good topic. And Chris, I want to ask you to take that a little bit further. I know one of the points in your book, which we are seeing behind you, Human Hacking, thank you very much. Uh, and and I, I read the book for the interview for our conversation on Read My Lips Radio a couple months ago, and it was wonderful. Chris, you talk about empathy. So if we can extend what Shane said, what everybody's saying about empathy, being able to look somebody in the eye on a video call we're not sure where that eye is because I'm looking at Maxie right now, but I don't know which direction. Because if I try to look at me, my camera is right here centered above me mm-hmm. and I'm trying to move my monitor and move my green screen so that I'm in front of the, seriously, in front of the mic. And and by the way, Shane, I always wear rings and a bracelet, but I noticed huh. that nobody, and there's some paint, I'm doing a lot of painting at night. Uh, if Yeah acrylic paint pouring it gets very very messy so i always have jewelry on my hands but nobody i didn't realize nobody ever sees it so if i move this down you can see a little more of me but you're right and so in the opening when i'm talking about the future of now 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 i raise my hands right shane and i say and talking to futurists and i point to all of you even though my hands go out of the frame of the screen didn't think about that so chris talk to me a little bit about empathy and and engaging people so that they will trust you on social media because we can't see the eyes and we can't see the hand. Shane was right. Chris, embellish that and we'll go around the table if anybody wants to say anything. Go sure. Ahead, so I think uh, what Shane said is, is really valuable in the sense that um, depending on what kind of conversation is. So because I'm in a conversation, not giving a speech right now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this and look into my camera because if I do this, you may feel like I'm talking directly to you because I'm answering you, mm-hmm. but I cannot see you at that point. <clears throat> so if I'm giving a speech, I will do that. I'll look at the camera so that way the audience feels I'm looking at them individually. But since this isn't a speech to your listeners, it's a conversation between the four of us, the five of us, 
um, then I'm looking at my screen because you asked me a question. So now I want to see, am I doing okay? So are you nodding your head in agreement? Shane is doing that. So I know I'm saying something he agrees to. And if he looked like this and started doing that, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'm not answering properly. <laughs> I need to either adjust or explain deeper. And that's what nonverbals do for us. But that awareness uh, means that just like Shane said, I'm also a huge gesturer. And I have to be more aware that my gestures can't be down here, which is what I was just doing. They have to be up here. Otherwise, you may just see my shoulders moving like this. And you're like, what's wrong with that guy? He's got Tourette's, you know, and instead I'm like, no, I, I have, I'm gesturing, you know, and this is what I'm, I'm trying to get a point across. So I think um, being aware of these things can help us when we're in a screen world, a digital world where we're trying to communicate with people and do so like we were live, but mm -hmm. having to remember that there's so many changes we need to make personally in order to do that effectively. Interesting. And I remember speaking to, I, I lived in New York. Well, I'm a native New Yorker, but I hopefully you can't tell. But I lived on, in Great Neck. Why hopefully? What do you <laughs> oh, mean? I don't I'm know. New York. Be, because people say to me, where's your New York accent? I say, I wasn't from Brooklyn, Bronx, or Queen. I was from Queens. We didn't have an accent, you know? So I, I lived in Oregon for years. People said, so you're from New York. I said, I don't talk like that. Why are you? you know? <laughs> stop, stop that. Oh, she's from New York. She must talk funny like the good fellas. No. Anyway, uh, I interviewed an author in Great Neck, a gentleman I met on, on one of my TV shows, and his book was on body language mm -hmm. and reading the microbursts. You're all nodding. Maxi, you can nod like everybody can nod. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and and microbursts. And, and I know that when you see detective shows, they're usually staring at the, the perp or the victim or the potential uh, person who's going to be <laughs> put in jail for the rest of their life for the crime that was just committed, alleged perpetrator. And they're looking for those the, the, the changes in the pupils and, and the breathing rate and the pulsing on the neck. So what does body language, and we're mentioned, Shane, this was your topic, talking about the, the, the signals we give to people on social video conferencing, I'll call it social conferencing. Um, we, we want to convey, as Chris was talking, Chris talks about empathy and, and inducing people to like you and body language and, and being able to invite people into you and be part of them, that eye contact, that physical, I'm a million miles away, but we're still in the same room together, quote unquote. So where does body language come into charming people into getting them to do what you want? Like Chris, Chris has gotten reservations at restaurants he couldn't get into through charming maitre d's, I understand. He's used some of the hacking, the, the confidence games, tricks that I mentioned with the famous people who are. So does anybody want to take that, uh, to talk to that? How does body language come into what we're trying to accomplish with good human hacking for good? Anybody want to take that? Am I going too far afield here, Chris? No, I'll, I'll gladly talk about that for days if you want. Okay. Well, we don't have days. We've got okay. 16, 16 minutes, 18 minutes, but it's okay, good. Go so ahead. I'll, I'll take a minute. Um, uh, it's, one of my, it's one of my areas of research that I truly love. Uh, mm -hmm. So in 1972, Dr. Ekman, who's like the granddaddy of all nonverbal research, he, uh, he did a study that found that when we see a, a micro expression on the face or we see body language, our brain actually starts to mirror the emotional content that was delivered. So it's important because if you're asking me a question, but I'm sitting here with this kind of a face, then you may think, well, I'm doing something wrong. I'm asking the wrong question. But if we're doing like you just said it, you said, Maxi, you can nod like everybody else because you're looking for that nonverbal confirmation that, yeah, you're asking a good question that we all like. When we're infants and we can't communicate with words, we look 
for our parents to give us nonverbal feedback. And that doesn't stop just because we learn language. We look for people to give us nonverbal feedback that we're either doing good or bad, that we're gaining rapport or not, that we're gaining trust or not. These indicators can help influence people. So like you said, using it to get reservations or things, it's rewarding. You reward people with dopamine and oxytocin when you tilt your neck slightly, your head, because you say, I trust you. When you Mm -hmm. smile and you do it while activating the ocularis orbitalis nerve on the side of your eyes, you actually say, I trust you. This is real. It's not fake. It's not put on. There's little things that you can do that make your brain, make the person's brain reward them for saying, oh, I'm doing a good job. I'm making this person happy. And then it releases chemicals that makes them more compliant with your next request. So it's uh, nonverbals are essential in communications without them. Imagine if we, the five of us were here talking, but none of us had an expression. We had no change in our tone, no facial expression. Mm -hmm. We were just blank, like, like robots. It it would be the most boring interview on the planet earth. Yep. Thank you very much. Anybody else want to chime in on that one before I move on? I want to do one more round of predictions and we can squeeze in. Everybody good? I see the, the, the shaking back and forth. That means, no, we're ready to move on. Thank you very much. Chris, I'm looking at prediction number three. You say over the next two years, we will see the scientific community coming together much more than in the previous two decades to help combat and fight some of the world's largest problems in malicious social engineering. And by the way, all of you, I'm giving you warning. I'm inviting you back for part two because we're not even scratching the surface. Are you all going to nod yes? Yes. Welcome back? Okay, maybe late April, early May, you're all coming back. And we just need we'll, we'll new quotes and then we'll just use some of the same predictions. There's just so much to talk about here. And I will make sure we get to live stream on LinkedIn no matter what it takes. I'll make sure they accept, they accept the stream. So Chris, talk to me about this briefly and then we're going to do one more prediction. Sure. for each. We have about 10 minutes left. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, so when, when the COVID vaccines came out, we saw some nation state attacks and trying to ruin the refrigerators that are uh, holding the vaccine. And what I found encouraging, I can say like some hope there, is that governments from across the globe started coming together to figure out ways to protect these refrigerators, these freezers that were holding the vaccines. And that was different than before. Normally, if you saw a government getting attacked, everyone kind of looked the other way and said, as long as it's not us, we're okay. And that made me feel like we're seeing a different style right now in the world. This is a global pandemic. It's not just a problem in a third world country or a European country or another area. This is affecting every country in the globe. And because we're all affected by it, we're coming together to share science, to share research about how we can combat it, to share technology that's keeping the vaccines safe, and then to share things that are working and not working. And that gives me um, some hope for predictions that as we move forward in the next couple of years, we're going to start sharing more of this data and research to help fix other problems once we get past this COVID problem. Thank you very much. And hopefully we're almost past. We're, we're looking I at hope. post-pandemic era, people are calling. Things are starting to open up. Ryan McDougall, prediction number two, professional social engineering will need to adapt to a new world in which casual interactions will be viewed with concern and possible suspicion, but still provide opportunity for education. Let's talk about the concern and the suspicion. That's where we want to go. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, so this one this one hits me very personally and professionally, mainly because we're of the, the our company is professional social engineers. So we do a lot of uh, what we call impersonation attacks, where we try to uh, access buildings that we're not supposed to access and talk our way through doorways and things like that. And 
pre-COVID, we would just try to interact and be just one of the casual workers that was around, maybe strike up a conversation with someone on the sidewalk and then follow them into their building. And, you know, it was all very innocent seeming if they didn't understand what we were trying to accomplish. But now after, with the, with the whole world needing to wear masks every day and everyone doesn't want to, you know, with social distancing, if someone random walks up to you, there's a lot more suspicion and concern, not necessarily for what they're asking for, but maybe just for that general interaction, like that interaction is now suspicious or, or causes concern. And so from a pro professional social engineer standpoint, we're gonna have to figure out ways to still do our job, to still educate companies on how to protect against threats, but in this new mechanism of interaction, it's, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be more difficult because we're all going to have to wear masks going into buildings and how do you do proper mm -hmm. identification? And then yep. a casual conversation with someone on the sidewalk might not be as welcomed as, as previous to pre COVID. So we're going to have to adapt our techniques and, and have to come up with new ways to, to gain that same level of trust and build rapport with people without having to, to break the new social norms. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Maxi. I'm looking at your prediction number two. You say the future of social engineering is deep fakes and how to defend against them. Currently, we use spoofing and impersonation to circumvent security. Deep fakes will make that seem like child's play. More AI technology will be used to defend against deep fakes. Maxi, take us through this AI tech. Go ahead. Yeah, so deepfakes um, are AI-generated videos and photos that put a person's face or onto another person's uh, face or body. And it's an emergent technology and it has become sort of more and more credible and it's really quite um, a challenge for, for me to look at one and know if it's, if it's real or not. But with the advent of quantum computing and as we get further, delve further into AI and it becomes more credible and, and more prevalent, I think that it will be harder and harder for a person to look at a deep fake and analyze whether it is real or not. So, I, and, it, and it sort of brings into play two different problems, a future problem and a past one. The future one being that imagine you open up your Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, and there's a video of you and you're drunk and saying something like you would never say, you will have to defend that and you will have to prove that it's that it's fake, the burden will be yours, and that's somewhat unfair. And then looking back the way, you can sort of alter history with deep fakes. Um, there's generations, obviously, not born yet, and they will come into a world where it looks as though, say, Obama is saying something. There, there was an Obama deep fake, and he was saying something against Trump. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be difficult for them to know if it's true, and they'll rely on the older generation to say that's not what happened. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a really a brilliant way for history to sort of go down the line. So with sort of the two ends of the spectrum, they're both mm -hmm. um, at risk. I think that there is a large issue there. Um, I think that deep fake technology will improve, but so will the technology to detect it. So there is currently, um, I think, uh, Microsoft uh, are debuting a technology that helps us spot hiccups in synthetic media and DARPA or um, Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency is also working on a program called Semaphore, whose aim is to detect mm -hmm. semantic 
deficiencies in deepfakes, such as a photo of a man generated with like autonom- autonomically incorrect teeth or a person who, who wears jewellery and isn't wearing any jewellery that day. So it's just little telltale signs. And I think that AI will catch up with that fast. It will be the thing that tells us, hey, this is fake. You are watching fake news, essentially. Thank you, Maxie. Very, very interesting. We'll, we'll get more into that when we invite you all back for a Perfect. topic too. Without too much politics, but we will. Yes, we've yes. been aware of, everybody's aware of deep fakes and people who say, no, that wasn't. And people who say, yes, that it's is. Not, and yeah. certain people, you pick words. I just learned, by the way, I've got one prediction from Shane coming up, but I just read about why when you get a robocall or a spam call and your phone says, don't answer, yeah. don't call it back did you just call my number? You're giving them access to your number, number one. Number two, if somebody says, hello, hello, are you there? And you say, yes, your voice could be recorded and used mm-hmm. as a yeah. fake consent. You consented to let yeah. me, ch- I have a friend who's, whose wife just thought she was buying a, a, a very low cost, but very good face cream, a night cream for something like $16.99. Turns out the sample came with a bill for 180 seven dollars and it arrived at the house and they had to change her credit card number and all that so we know okay shane i cannot get past this because this is important you shane mccombs as we said in the beginning is coo of the innocent lives foundation and he says the ilf that's your organization will use social engineering and human hacking to save more children why don't you just take about a minute and a half shane i know it's important to you but we want to hear this go ahead what's the prediction so a minute and a half um that we will be able to use social engineering and the concepts and the, the way that we view communication to tighten down even further on our understanding and being able to identify. So as we're looking for these people who are trying to hurt the kids, by the way, there's every half a second a child makes their first click online. It's just, it's incredible. And this gives unprecedented control and access to these predators. So it's even more urgent that we be better at what we do. So if we can use our understanding of social engineering to spend our time more effectively as we're hunting, then that will allow us then to get into their mindset and then be more effective and proficient at what we're doing, getting them off the streets faster. Thank you. And the streets virtually and physically, right, Shane? Absolutely, yes. We especially want them off the virtual streets. Thank you so much. I want all of you to give Chris Hagnegi a round of applause for inviting Maxie and Ryan and Shane to join us today. Chris, thank you. I empowered you. I said, great topic. And come on, Ryan. Mr. Introvert, that's it, that's it. There we go. Ryan there was we the go. first one. Oh, okay. I, I was so busy watching everybody else. So, Chris, I, I met you a couple months ago, as I said, on my other show, one of my other shows, and I was so impressed and asked you, and, and you built out this panel very quickly and engaged three phenomenal speakers and thinkers and futurists, and I appreciate that, Chris. I want to say also a shout out. Everybody say thank you, Aaron, to my engineer at Voice America. Thanks, thank, you, thank you, Aaron. There you go. <laughs> and, and we could do a provisional thank you to Restream, apparently. Apparently, we were live on Facebook, but we didn't make it to LinkedIn today. I'm going to post the Facebook link, and I have a message for all of you. First of all, thank you again, Chris Hadnegi, Ryan McDougall, Maxie Reynolds, Shane McCombs. You're all invited back. I'll send Chris the date, and we'll set it up, and it's not going to be too far in the future. That's my prediction. If anybody says to you, this is to my listeners, my viewers, and my panel, somebody says to you, the future is already here, you tell them, no, no, no. And Shane, you lift your finger on that screen, and you tell people so they can see, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. 
today's future didn't happen yet. And we're all going to work hard, do our best to make it a better one. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy. And if it's appropriate, still wear your damn mask. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Everybody wave. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. 